Once upon a time, there was a church planter. That church planter planted a church in the basement of his Bel Air, Maryland home. And over time, that church plant became a church, complete with buildings and budgets. And so the church planter became a church pastor. And over time, after about 25 years of being that church's pastor, that planter turned pastor became seminary professor. He learned so much about what it means to lead people in the way of Jesus in a culture that seems to be less and less interested in Jesus' message, that as a seminary professor, he wanted to train up new church planters and pastors to point people to the good news of the gospel. He authored dozens of books, including one that came to be known as The Message, a contemporary English paraphrase of the Bible. That project started with a very simple and very earnest attempt to translate into everyday language just one singular psalm in, helps, in hope of helping a friend learn how to pray. Of course, those of us who know and love engaging the original Hebrew and the Greek, we know the message is very different, right? But it caught the attention of a young singer in a rock band who sent a video to this planter-turned-pastor-turned-professor, this singer in a rock band sent a video to thank him for this paraphrase, for this translation. Now, this is my second favorite part of the story. Um, Eugene Peterson, author of The Message, had no idea who Bono was. <laughs> Not a clue. He'd never even heard of U2. I love it. But his seminary students educated him, and he came to be quite fond of their music. And as he says in a documentary, I also became quite fond of knowing that they knew who I was. <laughs> now, that's my second favorite part of the story. My favorite part is this. After communicating for a while through various means, you too invited Eugene Peterson to fly out to be with them at the height of their popularity, and he turned them down because he was working on a book deadline. Can you imagine it? You turned down, you too? But ultimately, meet they did, and ultimately become good friends they did. A world-famous rock star and a very simple, very humble church planter turned professor, turned, turned pastor turned professor. Eugene Peterson once concluded, we ran in slightly different worlds. <laughs> yeah, I'll say so. But their friendship was centered upon the love of the Psalms, which had started Eugene Peterson's prolific project, and it was the basis for the deep spirituality of both Bono and all of you too. I think of that story especially this morning as we continue our series, Summer in the Psalms, as we turn our attention to Psalm 40. Psalm 40 is a psalm that inspired you too to write a song, not only a song they recorded, but a song that they used to close every show of an entire tour. And they've used it time and time again to close many shows since. They called it simply 40.
version renders it a little bit differently. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord. And some of us are already wanting to check out because waiting patiently doesn't exactly top our list of a fun time. My kids have what they call S days, you know, Saturday and Sunday. It's when they don't have to go to school. And so often they'll ask Cass and I on the eve of an S-Day or early in the morning of an S-Day as we sip on our morning coffee, hey, it's an S-Day, what are we doing today? And we love to say, well, we're just practicing patience. (laughs) That's what we're doing today. But the literal Hebrew is even worse than waiting patiently. The literal Hebrew says, I waited, waited, which is really awkward. (laughs) But it gets the point across, doesn't it? Imagine walking in the door after a long day and saying, I am hungry, hungry. I am tired, tired. David waited, waited. As one of our own prophets, St. Tom Petty once said, the waiting is the hardest part. Some researchers are convinced that we are increasingly unable to wait. Maybe you've heard this. They believe that our attention spans have fallen to a mere eight seconds, which is less than a goldfish's nine. (laughs) And if that's true, some of you have no idea why I'm telling you about it. I better speed up my, my delivery here. Maybe you've heard the story of the cardiologist named Meyer Friedman. He once studied human patience or lack thereof. His interest in it was sparked after his upholsterer noticed a pattern of wear on the chairs in his waiting room. They were wearing out in the front. People were literally sitting on the edge of their seats. Which makes sense for a cardiologist's office, doesn't it? Where you have to wait, wait, when you don't want to, want to. Friedman went on to identify what we call type A personalities. Those chronically aggressive and angry and impatient. He later coined the phrase, hurry sickness. He defined it as a continuous struggle and unremitting attempt to accomplish or achieve more things or participate in more and more events in less and less time, frequently and in the face of opposition. And get this, he coined that phrase hurry sickness 50 years ago. I know some of us are experiencing hurry sickness even today. We have joined together here in worship in the sanctuary or logged on online. We found a way to squeeze in a little bit of church before we have to run off and do all the things we need to do to make sure this summer is fun and restful and relaxing and refreshing, so let's go. (laughs) We're watching our watch because the sermon is just getting started and we are getting really nervous. But we cannot be pressured into patience. So sit back, relax, hear again these words of David as his testimony. Listen to what he says. What God will do when we do what we need to do. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. The Hebrew word there is Sheol. 
Our closest English word for Sheol is something like grave. But, but remember, the ancient Hebrews did not have a developed understanding of the afterlife. Their thought was that at the end of our lives, we went into Sheol, we went into the grave, and we just lied there really bored for a long time. And that time would end when we were, the only the way time would end in Sheol is when the Messiah would come and declare to us the good news of this afterlife, which was a little bit cloudy in their imaginations. He says, God set my feet on a rock, gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Notice David did two things. David waited patiently, and David cried out. That's it, full stop. Waited, waited is a kind of Hebrew idiom. It means to wait with concentration, to wait with intention. When we think of waiting, we, we, we think of someone being late or wasting our time. We think of being bored on an S day and how terrible that would be. We use phrases like killing time. This past week I was doing some grocery shopping, which I don't do a lot of, and there's a very good reason why. I wind up with a lot of things in the cart that are not on the list or in the budget. Anybody else have that gift? (laughs) Hey, I didn't ask you to get these. But I was grocery shopping after leaving the office around 6 p.m. on Wednesday night, and that's getting close to dinner time in our household, because the sooner you feed the kids, the sooner you can send them to bed. And I'm going as quickly as I can. But have you ever noticed how different grocery stores are like different countries? Like they have the same stuff, but it's all in different places, and you don't quite know what you need to find and where it might be. And as I was blazing down the front aisle, trying to get to aisle six, some other customers turned out of aisle four in front of me, and I was still two aisles away from my turn. And they were just sauntering along, out for a stroll. It might have even been a mosey. I almost said out loud in a phrase commonly used by my father in my childhood home. Let's go, let's go, let's go. (laughs) True story. To this day, you can call my house and say, hey, is David Bronson there? Yeah, what you got? What you got? Go, go, go. (laughs) But what does King David do? He sits back in his chair and he waits patiently with, with concentration, with intention. Waited, waited is a kind of active waiting. He does two things. He waits patiently and he cries out. And what does God do? God hears his cry. God turns to him. God lifts him up out of the pit. God sets his feet on a rock. God gives him a new song to sing. And how often we confuse the two. What we are called to do and what only God is able to do. Anybody else confuse those two from time to time? What we are called to do and what God can only do. How many times have we tried to climb up out of that pit? How many times have we tried to climb up on top of that rock? How many times have we tried to sing a new song that we don't really feel like singing? But this isn't only about David and God. A true faith impacts not only themselves, but the lives of those around them. David continues... Many will see and fear the Lord. They will put their trust in him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud or turn aside to false gods. 
Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you have planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Again, the literal Hebrew says, my ears you have dug out. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. And then I said, here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. I will proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. Whether you'd even heard of Eugene Peterson, have read the message, or even like you too, it's easy to understand, isn't it? How how the most unlikely of friendships could be formed around such rich imagery and illustrations in poetry like Psalm 40. It's easy to understand why you too would put to music what are already song lyrics right in the center of the scriptures. Author Anne Lamott once wrote a book she called Help, Thanks, Wow. The Three Essential Prayers. Help, Thanks, Wow. And in a way, we see all three in just this one psalm. Help, I'm down here again. Thanks, my feet are up on the rock. Wow, I'm so happy I could sing. Bono put it a little bit differently. He said, there are gospel songs which take you to a new place, a place where you need to go, and then there are blues psalms. He said, those are the psalms that I hold most closely to my heart. Those are the psalms that I hold on to for the longest because they are a communication from a darker territory, from a place of pain or abandonment, from a place of fear or doubt, when David is at his lowest, when he's feeling the most distant from God, that he discovers how to renew that relationship, how to start that conversation again. If you've ever sung a blues song, I'm sure you would agree with Bono's analysis. That when we're at our lowest, when we feel the most distant, when we can put words to that feeling, we discover how to renew that relationship, how to restart that conversation. Now, despite how much it pains my heart, I know that even the most superb sermons will be mostly forgotten by dinner. But the songs that we sing are a rich and unending feast. They not only inspire our faith, but they inform us and they instruct us in the way of Jesus. When we sing, both sides of our brain are fully engaged, not to mention our hearts. And so how badly we need to sing songs like 40, both for its gospel and for its blues. How badly we need to sing along, how long, O Lord, how long? How many of the 6,000 people at that Red Rocks concert in Colorado knew that they were singing a song right in the center of the scriptures? And how good it is to sing that song. Because we live in a world where we are informed by and infected by hurry sickness. But it's in waiting upon God. Waiting, waiting. When our eyes are open to see him move most powerfully in our lives. And in the lives of those around us. 
It's in waiting, waiting, that we recognize what we're called to do and what God has promised to do. In our hurry sickness, we sit on the edge of our chair and and then step out of things we can actually accomplish and so often try to take over what only God can achieve. In our hurry sickness, we try to put on a happy face and say, it's okay when it's not. Just last night, I was on the phone with a dear member of our community who said those exact words to me. And so I included it in my sermon because I want to make it really clear. Sometimes it's not okay. And that's okay. But don't take it from me or even Eugene or even Bono. Take it right here from God's own word where we are inspired and we are informed and we are instructed to sing it like it is. God, I'm down in the pit again, and it's not okay. I'm down in the pit, and I'm waiting, waiting, and I'm crying out because that's all I can do. The rest of it is out of my pay grade, God. You're going to have to lift me out. You're going to have to put me on the rock. See, it's only when we're down in that pit that we may pray that prayer, but it's in praying that prayer that our eyes are opened anew to see what God will do. Maybe we, maybe we shouldn't sing it like it is if you're at all like me in the grocery store and you want somebody to pick up the pace. But there are times when we're down in the pit, and remember, we are not the first ones to experience being down in the pit and crying out to God and having to wait patiently. It happened to Joseph. It happened to Daniel. It happened to Jeremiah. It even happened to Jesus. Even Jesus himself is thrown down in that pit in a way after he's taken from the cross into the Sheol, into the grave. Like we confess in the Apostles' Creed, we say Jesus descended to the dead, and that's what we mean. Into Sheol, into the pit, into the grave. That's why 1 Peter tells us that Jesus went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. Have you ever wondered what that meant? What does that mean, Jesus made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits in the grave? It means he was telling everybody trapped down there, that the Messiah has come. That they've been waiting for a really long Saturday, but it's Sunday, and new life is now available through him. So may we hear that good news too. May we trust in that good news too. Not only at the end of our lives, for that good news, that eternal life continues, may we trust that good news even here and now. That we need not climb and claw our way out of those pits that life will throw us into, because that's out of our pay grade. It's beyond our control. May we be those who simply sing the blues until they become that gospel. May we stutter those prayers for help. May we shout those words of thanks. May we sing along those songs of wow, help, and thanks, and wow. I want to conclude our time together this morning before singing one last song in praying the rest of Psalm 40 together, because we didn't quite get to the end of it. But the last few verses are prayers that are so good that we pray, not only as individuals, but a prayer as a community. Would you join me? Do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love and faithfulness always protect me. For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails within me.
Be pleased to save me, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. May all who want to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May all those who say to me, Aha! Be appalled, be appalled at their own shame. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who long for your saving help always say, The Lord is great. But as for me, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. You are my God. Do not delay. Father, so often in life, we pray those three essential prayers. Help, thanks, wow. Would the Psalms be, and even more so become, our prayer book, our hymn book in which we can sing along by the power of your Spirit, whatever life throws at us. May they not only be words that inform us, but words that inspire us and instruct us to a deep spirituality that connects us, that connects the most unlikely of friends. God, we give you thanks for the gift of community and the gift of singing these songs together. Would you hear our voices now as we continue in worship?